Welcome to the I'll Think About It podcast. Nothing is off limits in this space because we are interested and curious about everything. Join us for a thoughtful journey into the heart of the deep issues of our day with a few laughs along the way. Let's do this. In this podcast, we talk about internet search. Are the results you get biased, true, and accurate? Well, I had always suspected internet search results were a little suspicious, but as it turns out, they're a lot more biased than we originally thought, and we dive into that in this podcast. All right, coming up, internet search. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Aaron. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing very well. Time for another podcast. It is time for another podcast. We are recording today, and we're going to be talking about internet search. Mm. Okay. And, uh, which seems like it could be an innocuous subject, but being that our entire lives revolve around what we search on the internet, uh, it's actually pretty important. And so we're going to get into that in a little bit. First, I wanted to see how you were doing today. Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah. It's, uh, it's starting to get, uh, kind of wintry here in Southern California. So I'm kind of enjoying that change of pace. I haven't decided if I like it or not. I, I initially always like when the cold starts and then I don't like being cold during the day. I'm always cold. Yeah, I can, I can see that. And just yeah. got a bundle, but you know, girls and being cold all the time. <laughs> I'm always cold. I, I'm wearing multiple clothes right now and I'm still feeling a little chilly. And I'm sitting here in a virtual t-shirt. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I, I can't ever figure out if I like it, but we did go to the beach over the weekend and it was lovely. It oh, that would be pretty cool in the wintertime. It time. was so pretty out. It was the sunsets, the sunsets at this time of year are the best. Right. Right. Because the sun is just, setting right over the ocean in front of us here. And you can see Catalina clear. Catalina is so clear. Right. San Clemente Island was clear. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, it's worth it. Well, that's the time of year it is. It sure is. So I have a question for you. Okay. A, an interesting article that just popped up. And it said that you can learn a lot about a person if you – if they, uh, whether or not they put away their shopping cart. Whether or not they put it away? Yes. Oh, that's kind of an interesting. Tell me what you think about that. Do you think you can tell what type of, if a person's a good person, if they put away their shopping cart? Well, yes and no. Uh, cause somebody could do it just because it's a habit, right? Um, on the other hand, I think that would be pretty rare. <laughs> I think most of the time it would be because they have some sense of responsibility. Um, and you're talking about an actual full push yeah, cart, right? A full push yeah. shopping cart. So right. you like, you get your groceries, you put them in the car and are you the person that just like leaves it right there, right. like in between the shop, the car where you park your car or are you going to wheel it back? Well, let me tell you about me. Oh yeah. You can what tell you us what the data says okay. or whatever, you know, I, um, I almost always will take it back uh, and I may not take it back all the way to the thing, but I'll take it back to a, a central area if they have that, or at least to kind of, you know, where it's not going to be in the road. That's my thing. I'm always worried about a cart running away in the parking lot, hitting another car or something. And so, I, yeah, I actually do. I am one of those who will put it, if not completely like, you know, the guys who work there 
put it away into that little stack or whatever. <laughs> well, there's this, but, there's the stacks that are out in the parking lot. Yeah, like this little central. Yeah, uh, sub stack. Yeah, we'll call right. the, sub- the sub stack. Right? <laughs> and then the main stack the main is inside stack, the grocery right. store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I will sub stack it. I always sub stack. Okay, <laughs> that's just what we're going to call it now. So, but what what do what are the things that they say you can learn from that? If you are, if you witness someone not sub stacking, like sub stacking, <laughs> you say, okay, they're uh, someone who cares about everyone that's around them because they they don't just care about leaving the car. They care about the workers because the workers have to go out and like get all those carts back. Right. They right. have to like walk across. I mean, it's like gathering up all the carts. Now, and- see, I, that, I don't care about that. They're getting paid for that. So I, I, I'm not trying to make it easier for them. That That is okay. not in my calculus. That's fair. That's fair. They get yeah. paid for it. Yeah, it's they get paid very for it. Very true. Enough. I mean, I would never try to make it harder for them yeah. than necessary, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not concerned about that. I, I think there's something to be said. Like I pulled into a parking spot one time and the woman, I just watched her. There were no parking spots left in this particular parking lot. And she was, she just wheeled her cart up to the curb and just left it there. And so this parking in, it was kind of going perpendicular into my parking spot. So there's no way for me to park without getting out and moving the cart. Oh yeah, that's not good. And I, (laughs) and it's a busy lot. So like you couldn't just go in there. You couldn't just park and then back out and then like hover hanging into the, main aisle while you move the cart and i and she was walking away and i said you know can't you just put your cart away oh you engaged i did i was a total karen oh wow okay which i never do but it was like i was so couldn't we say there's something to be said about those people as well no you're right and then i thought oh my gosh like i am like calling out this other person which i can't stand when people do but i had just, just gone through this stress of hanging out into this busy uh, passing lane, getting into this spot, having to get out of my car when my car was halfway in and then moving the cart up onto the curb. So the problem still wasn't fixed. It just was out of my way. There was right. still a wayward cart. Right. <laughs> and then she, she, resp- she just responded back to me. Just, she just bit my head off. She did a, a nasty response. She had a nasty response. Did she actually have an argument for her behavior or was it just, no, I think she probably gave me some F word. Okay. Yeah. You know, type of phrase would be more interesting if she justified. (laughs) why. The one thing is I'm always really careful about calling people out because I don't like doing that. And so I'm always very gentle and it, I'm sure that it was, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I'm sure it was very gentle. I'm sure it was, Hey, do you think you could put the carts away? Like my, or I, I actually didn't even give her, directions for the future i just said hey you know your cart blocked me from getting into my stall so i don't i didn't even say put your carts away be a better person i said hey like addressing that specific incident now was she going into the store or she she was not going into the store so she was she was just leaving the cart there to go in, into her cart up yes to uh i see yeah. okay yeah that's kind of so I don't know. It's a hard. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I'm one of those, I'm a sub stacker. Yep. <laughs> uh, minimally. And sometimes if they don't have a, one of those things in the parking lot, I will take it all the way up to the, uh, 
to the entrance of the store. I have before. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm usually. I don't prefer it. But I, don't, yeah, just leaving it there. Well, the other thing is it creates traffic in the parking lot. Yeah, and it because seems because people can't pull into their right. spaces, and so like my situation, it created a traffic yeah, jam there. Right. And there was another time a cart. I thought I could bump it with my car. Oh my god! Okay, now that's something that only. <laughs> no, a- no, it gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> I thought I could bump it with my car to push it out of the way. Oh my god! And aren't it, you worried about scratching your no, car? No, it was worse. I I damaged something on the front of my car. This piece fell, <laughs> and it's still. I never put it back on. It's like was the front corner of like a like the bottom of my light. Oh my god! And it made a dent. I'm like, are you kidding me? Why did I do that? Yeah, that, that's my question. Well, because I was. Angry the cart was there. I was in a hurry. I thought I could just pull in and just gently bump the cart. <laughs> it did not work. That's hilarious. So, uh, no, no, I never gently, you know, push anything. You also with my have car. a BMW. Well, and I have okay, a it, old Highlander. It, it, my car is like 12 years old, just but so it, we're clear. Still, it was fancy when it was new. <laughs> Okay. All right. Okay. So okay. Shopping cart. Just- uh, and so our public service announcement is be a good sub stacker. Do it. Just do, do it. Do it for the people. Do it for the people. You'll feel good about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now one of the things I want to know about, what's your phone situation? Aren't you getting a new phone? What's going on with that? I am going to get a new phone for Christmas. Yes. Okay. My phone is for some reason dying. Well, no, the battery explainable. The battery, it's just old. So right. the battery will not recharge. But the other problem is it's only about, I'm going to say 20% of my texts are not getting through. Oh, that's weird. And it's mostly to, cause I have an Android, as you know, right. and it's mostly right. to iPhone, iPhone people yeah. who do not have Verizon. Cause I have Verizon and I have an Android. Right. And so if I end up sending to Apple people that have like AT&T, it won't go through. Yeah, like me. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so I can't see. I, I turned on the thing that says it can be delivered and then half the time that it just says requested. It doesn't – I don't get it back for – so some of the texts don't go through. So it's annoying. I feel like sometimes I'm getting ghosted and I'm actually – they never even got my text. Yeah. People it's, don't like me. No. I know. I'm like, why aren't they getting back to me? All right. Well, that's uh, – hopefully it is just the phone and not – and not, not me. Verizon or something. I mean, or people I don't, don't want to get back to me. Or, or maybe, <laughs> maybe you weren't getting hosted. I, I know, know. I know. I know. All right. So that's, uh, you'll be getting that for Christmas, you said? Yes. All right. Good. Well, I hope that works out for you. I know. Me too. And I start hearing back from people. No, it'll, it'll be fine. I just need to get it, get on that. Get it done. And you said you saw a movie. Right. Okay. Well, Again, I don't watch very many movies, but Mm -hmm. during this time of year, we're kind of coming into the holiday season, um, is a little bit of a movie watching. You know, it's cold outside, so sometimes you're bundle up and watch a movie. Bundle up and watch a movie. So, uh, I watched a movie, which I have seen before, and I remember really liking it last time I saw it. And of course, it is an old movie. Is it black and white? (laughs) It's a black and white. Oh dear. Okay. (laughs) Uh, and it's called Bachelor Mother. Now, it is a horrendous title. I don't know it that it's the weirdest title. What does that even mean? <laughs> it, it is from 1939, which, uh, I, I, I'm sure there are people listening to this who know way more about old movies than I do, but I think 1939 is considered to be one of the best all, all time years of great movies that all came out in the same year. That was the same year as Gone with the Wind, for instance, and, um, uh, what's the, the, um, uh, 
the Judy Garland one with the Munchkins. Uh, the Munchkins? The Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, how did you not know that? <laughs> um, and there's a whole, a whole bunch of movies. Uh, so this one also came out that year. And on IMDb, it got a 7.5. And from what I understand, basically, if anything, it's an 8. And it's a 10-point scale. Anything gets anything 8 or over is pretty much like all-time classics. Classic. Okay. Yeah. And this got a 7.5. So it's just a notch below that. And it is – the premise is this woman um, – oh, and the actors, it's uh, David Niven, who I'm sure you don't know who that is. But he is a – He's a relatively smallish man uh, with a British accent. I believe he's from Britain originally, and he he plays um, the uh, like slightly sophisticated slash pretentious characters in movies from the 30s, 40s. Uh, but he's actually he's a good actor, and he's he's kind of funny about it. That's the thing, right? It's not overtly comedic, but there's always this comedic subtext to his performances. And the actress is uh, Ginger Rogers. And Ginger Rogers, for uh, as most people probably know, was the famous uh, partner of Fred Astaire. And so they used to do all those dancing movies together. Well, she's actually a really good actress in her own right. And of all the movies where she's not with Fred Astaire that I've seen, this is my favorite. Um, it's a really good performance. It's quite funny. The premise of the movie is that she is the single woman working in a department store and it's Christmas time and, uh, she's walking home after work and, and they live, I think it's like supposed to be New York City and she sees somebody leave a baby. Uh, on a, on a building step as she's walking by down the street. And she says to the woman, what, what are you doing? And she, you can't leave your baby there. And then she sees the woman who is an old woman and she says, Oh, it's not my baby. Um, the mother is gone and I can't take care of this. And this is actually the doorstep of a, I think it's supposed to be an orphanage or something. And so Ginger Roger goes up to pick up the baby to actually take it in. Well, right at that moment, they open the door and she says, Oh, well, here's this baby. And they said, well, it's your baby. Obviously. She says, no, no, no. I, I just picked it up. And so there's this whole comedy through the whole movie where this abandoned baby is thought to be hers. And the whole movie progresses around this notion and it's kind of at the holidays time. And so she ends up, with the baby and uh, there's this interaction with the David Niven character. It's very heartwarming. It's very funny. And the script is really clever. There's a whole bunch of stuff in this. And so I highly recommend it. Um, if you like a holiday movie, uh, it's definitely one to watch. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure TCM shows it on occasion, maybe even around the holidays. I don't know. But if you, if you want to, if you want something, that's very wholesome, very funny though, and not stupid funny, like, like a little bit more sophisticated funny, then I highly recommend it. And it's called Bachelor Mother. Bachelor Mother. Okay. Yes. Uh, and like I said, the worst thing about the movie is that title. Yeah, I know. T- it's, <laughs> it's an interesting title. I guess that's a title they would have pulled out in 1939 though. I guess. Cause it's I'm, single mother, really. Yeah, maybe. And it's not a, really even the mother. Yeah. So I think a bachelor is always considered to be a man. Man. But, yeah. That's very interesting. But so, they, but since she was alone, they. May, and maybe they were trying to be provocative, you know, maybe. provocative title. I, I don't know. It's a weird title. Uh, and you would never, you would, you would just, if you were just looking at titles of movies, you'd gloss Go over right that over instantly. That. Yeah. Um, 
So anyway, that was a movie I saw and, uh, I'm, I'll probably watch that movie every year cause it's that enjoyable of a, of a seasonal kind of movie to watch. Well, maybe this is my, actually, that sounds interesting to me and it maybe could be the movie that like breaks the seal for oh, the, me. The black and white. <laughs> <laughs> my black and white. You I can't watch white. black and white movies. Uh, gosh, Aaron. Yeah. You got to get I over know, that. I know. I know. I know. I, I do kind of get it uh, that there is a, well, there's a culture, but I mean, this movie, uh, my understanding was it was released actually in June, June-ish of 39, which historically is an interesting period because this is just before the start of World War II, which started in December, I'm sorry, uh, September of 39 is when uh, the Germans invaded Poland. Of course, the United States didn't get into it until 41, but this, you can tell there's the, the whole thing of the movie is that pre-war culture, especially in America, especially as what they thought New York City was like. I think it was probably filmed in LA, but but they they set the scene in New York. So it's it's very interesting culturally to see what people were like, what was important. That's that's another reason why I like some of these old movies because it is it's a time capsule. It gives you a feeling of yeah. what was going on in people's minds sure. during the time. And what the cultural mores were mm-hmm. her as this single woman um you know, it's it's uh, interesting and the Niven character is supposedly a rich playboy uh, type characters. So. Yeah, does he play her boyfriend or? Uh, well, that's what happens. They end okay. up in a in a really in a weird set of circumstances, okay. which is qu- well. part of the humor of the whole thing. So, in fact, there I will say there is a scene where uh, she's an ends up being it's actually an employee. He he is the son of the owner of the department store. Okay, okay. and they get wind of this situation and then like oh well we'll give her her job that must be why you know she was going to get let go maybe that's why she was abandoning her baby was so we'll we'll let her have her job and we'll give her a small raise and that'll solve all the problems right and meanwhile she's like she's this like, not my baby my baby you don't understand so that's how they get introduced well she has the baby at least for now and uh, on new year's eve niven's character um gets uh, stood up and, you know, he's a rich playboy with a reputation to go out on New Year's Eve. So he goes and he visits this, uh, the Ginger Roger character and says, well, how would you like to, you know, go out? So they basically go out together. They, they go to the same restaurant, high end fancy restaurant because he's all money that, uh, the woman who, who stood him up was at. And so there's this little kind of cat, uh, you know, fight between the two women and Ginger Roger says, listen, I'm blue collar. I don't know how to talk to these people. And he, he, he gives the line. He says, well, <clears throat> just tell all the men no. And don't worry about the women. They won't talk to you anyway. And it's just so funny because that's exactly what you would expect, right? Yeah. Um, and what they do is they decide that in order for her not to engage in conversation, he says that she's from Sweden. And doesn't speak a word of English. <laughs> and they start making up a language, a language oh my right gosh. there with, with, you know, she says things like smorgasbord. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's just so, it's very funny. It's very clever. Okay. And, I think you uh, might've convinced me. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Sorry. That was a little more extended. No, that's you. okay. It's okay. I, I, I do. We bo- all need to know about these black and white movies. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot watching. You know, I remember, the, I don't know. Was it TCM or something like that? There's a lot of movies that have been lost. They made so many in that era of, of Hollywood and not all of them were preserved or saved. We kind of think that 
everything's been, and that's not the case at all. A lot of movies did get lost. I would have assumed that once a movie was made, it was always, it was just forever. Like done? In the library. No, no. Because the people that owned them, I mean, it was, it was her who made the movies. It was up to them to preserve the The film if they even wanted to. Yeah. And they might've been like, this was one and done. Yeah. Or, and they, or they, they stored it in areas where they didn't, the film didn't age well. Mm -hmm. The film is, um, the, the chem, it's chemicals on some kind of material. And so it will degrade over time, especially if it's not in ideal environmental conditions. So a lot of movies, um, at least are completely gone or were partially destroyed. So that you can't really, you know, watch them. Oh, that's sad. A famous case actually is, um, a Judy Garland film from the mid fifties. I think it was 54 called the star is born. And this was a big deal because she was fired from NGN because she was a drug addict and unreliable. And so this was her big kind of comeback. And, um, when they released the film, it was three hours long, I want to say, or, or between two and a half, three hours, something like that. And at the time, the movie theaters, the way they made their money was how many tickets they sold. And they could sell more tickets if the movies were shorter. So the movie theaters told uh, whoever made the film, I can't remember who made the film, hey, we need a shorter version so that we can have higher turnover. So they chopped up the movie and fans of the movie, I've seen it. It just destroyed the film in, in a lot of ways. It lost its, it lost so many aspects of what made it a really good film in the longer form. It just didn't work. I mean, well, they would have had to take out crucial parts. They of the took story. out crucial parts, but the thing is, those edits were lost. Oh, that's terrible. So the only thing they had up until I want to say around the year two thousand or something like that. All they had was that, that cut version. The second. And everybody who saw the original said, Oh my God, it was such a good movie. In fact, it was up for the Academy Award or she was up for the Academy Award for this role. And, uh, well, then they found parts of the things and they've kind of put it back together and re-released it. There's still some parts that they don't have the video for, but they did have the audio. So what they do is they show, you know, some, some photos while the dialogue is going oh, on. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. And, and so it was a, a re, a pretty good reconstruction and it just transforms the movie into something more watchable. But again, the point being that, you know, Hollywood did not do a, all that great of a job, uh, preserving, uh, everything that they made. I don't think that they had a, I don't know that that was part of what was important to them. I don't think so because uh, you do get the feeling that once the movie had its run, like there was, that there wasn't a a way to monetize that in the future. Like there was, I don't think there was a long term. That's what I was just thinking about. Like today with movies, there's so many versions of it, you know, straight to, you know, some goes straight to to streaming or the DVD or or (laughs) the, you know, Whatever merchandising, you have so many different pieces of a movie that. But because continue. they're all stored digitally, as long as, you know, people don't lose the backup, uh, you know, you're never going to lose that data. It'll never degrade, at least for sure. So, and now people understand how they can re-release something later and make money on it. I mean, when we were kids, remember every year they would have Wizard of Oz. On TV. Yep. And that was a huge deal. I mean, I know when, when it sh- showed up, like you couldn't, you were very excited as a kid. That, oh my God. Yeah. The it's Wizard back of on TV. And I think it was around the holidays. I don't remember, but, um, that was a really big deal. And the first time they showed it on TV was the first time it had been shown to anybody in, I don't know, decades or whatever. 
that was a big deal. That's wild to think that there was a whole era when you would just watch something one time. Yeah, one time thing. And, and or at least during its run. I'm sure people would, would yeah, see it multiple times if it was great. By the way, this <laughs> to dovetail with what I was talking about with uh, Lucy and, and Desi, um, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, he actually was the first guy to f- to record on film those TV- their TV shows. That's why we had the reruns of Lucy. Nobody else was doing that. So they would they would broadcast them and then they would be done. They weren't actually filming them. Oh, that would so, never occur to me. So he actually is the reason why we have reruns of TV shows. He was the guy that, that uh, came up with that idea. So they would film them in front of an, a studio audience? They would No, they would just broadcast Just it. broadcast Yeah. And it would just be, that's and then it. that's over that and you're never going to see it yeah. again. Oh. Be similar to to what they were doing with uh, radio shows. I mean, how many radio shows were were done that we'll never know about? We'll never know because they were yeah. never recorded. Yeah, it was just you know they had the scripts, the actors did their thing. We used to listen uh, to the Third Man. I don't know. I, I think it's Orson Welles. Oh, what, what very, a voice that guy's! Oh, voice. it was so good. It was very very good. Okay. Well, anyway, that was a little detour down. Yes. Old Hollywood Lane. Well, so today I wanted to get into internet search. You are our uh, resident tech guru. I'm going to call you that. So yeah. you know a lot more about the technical side of what internet search yeah. means. Uh, what does it mean? Well, okay. So when people uh, searching just means when you type something in your in your browser, and your your Google Chrome, your Firefox, or Safari. And you just type in some words. Um, those words get sent to usually, in most cases, to Google, who then figures out what it is you're trying to look for. And um, the search started, I believe it was the early 90s, uh, give or take. And um, the first big player that people probably remember was Yahoo. And I think I want to say they were 1995 when they started. And then uh, I think Google started in around 98 or 99, so a few years after. And who do we have before Yahoo? We had like Excite yeah, there was Alta a couple, Vista. I think Alta and... Vista was – Alta Vista may have been the first kind of big one that like most people used. But um, it was a relatively short-lived um, prominence. Well, they all had they indexing had. issues from what I – Yeah, so the idea is that these – these companies would write software that would then go to every web page they could go to and it would just look at the words and it would dump all the, the text of the web page into these databases. And based on the frequency of words or the ordering of words, um, they would use that as the foundation for a search. So if a website had a particular phrase or it had a whole bunch of words on a topic, I don't know, like horticulture, <laughs> then uh, then it would be more likely to show up in the search. Now, you were dependent on these companies using what they call web crawlers. They would crawl the web. In the old days, we called it the World Wide Web. Remember? Yes, yes, www. <laughs> As right? a matter of fact, I was just thinking about how annoying it was because I was in, in the tech industry and you would listen to these old school radio or or TV people and they would go, Go to www dot and then they would say this so slow because you needed to spell it exactly right, whatever the website was. Um, 
Now, theoretically, if you don't use the www, uh, it's a different potential location. But everybody just started. You didn't have to type the www anymore. You or just, you just—it was inherent in the name. You like well, knew that you were supposed to it, do that. Well, right? technically, it does a redirect. Okay. So if you if you type just Google dot com, it'll redirect to www.google.com. Okay. Uh, at least that's how the nowadays they probably don't even do a redirect because just it is the website. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so these web these web crawlers go around and they do all this indexing, and then the secret sauce for the search engines is how do they take all that raw data and when you type a search, how do they kind of crunch it to make it so that it's meaningful for you? Um, like it's you've put in just words. The web crawler is out searching for right for words for phrases. those words that are matching what you're looking for, but that needs to come be regurgitated back to you right in a form of where you're seeing linked, a list of linked options. websites, Correct. the options. Okay. Right. And, uh, I think, uh, Yahoo was, was, was the first one who kind of did it in a way that made sense to people. I think Alta Vista was a little bit more mishmashy. Um, Yahoo was the first one that came up with a more intelligent algorithm. So if you typed horticulture, for instance, uh, you would be more likely to actually get to sites that dealt with that topic rather than just a site that had that in its, you know, you wouldn't want to go to a, a, a site that, somebody mentioned the word horticulture, but it wasn't relevant to the actual data or the, the, the piece of that site. You want to, if you're searching for horticulture, you want to go to a site that's actually talking about horticulture. Yes. Not like I dreamed about horticulture. <laughs> exactly. And it was, and a, was, it was a website about dreams. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. That's a really good example. Yeah. So Yahoo kind of was the first one to start figuring out how to do that in a, in a reliable way. And then of course, when Google came, it was, they just, it, they took the world by storm because they did that uh, very well. Now, what's important here though, is that in those early days, there was little – the idea was just to try to get something accurate for the person who was searching, right? There was no thought about or very little thought about moderating the results based on anything other than the accuracy of the content. Well, probably starting in the 2000s, early 2000s, uh, Google and others started – changing the search results based on content moderation policies. For instance, uh, an example that Wikipedia cites is that if you're in uh, a country like Germany and you search for neo-Nazi, it's not likely to show up in a Google search because that's um, illegal content in a country like Germany. Uh, now, that makes sense if there's a legal foundation for it. But what has happened is that Google is making their own content moderation decisions, as are all of, all of them. So if something is not important to Google, or if Google wants to push a particular topic, or its employees want to push a topic, they can very easily do that. And there are very, e it's very easy to come up with examples of that, which I'm sure we'll mention. Well, yeah, that, so let's say 25 years ago. The main point of a web crawler or a search engine was to just provide data that was as relevant to the keywords Correct. you were looking for as possible. Right. And then we've, we've gone through time, time has passed, and now we are, that was achieved. So 
the results that you what you search for can be brought up very well. It's efficient now that system. The looking out on the web and trying to pull right. up pull up something as close to your keywords as possible. But what's changed over that from what I'm hearing from you is that the search results are now more focused on what Google or the search engine because there are we I mean we there have, others, we have yeah. Bing and then we've got DuckDuckGo. Yeah and Yahoo is still Yahoo still there. I think Although, Yahoo is powered by I think yeah Bing, I think or, I think I well there's some relationship there I can't remember now. Okay. And because they were powered by Google for a little bit. Uh yeah I think they've kind of gone yeah. back and forth. Um and DuckDuckGo uh, my understanding is also they're just using some of these other engine results. Okay. So they they actually I don't believe have their own I don't think there's anybody other than, than you know, large web search crawlers. In other words, people who are actually cataloging the internet other than, um, at least in the West, uh, Google and Microsoft. Uh, I think uh, there's a China, there's, yeah, a, there's one in there's China, Baidu, Baidu in China, yeah, and, and then uh, one in Russia. Russia has Yandex. Yeah, yes. Uh, Yandex, by the way, has been around. They, they were one of the earlier ones too. They've okay. actually been around quite a long time. Baidu was a little bit later, I believe. Uh, but you know, they're specific to their language yes. and their, their user base. So in the West, I, I, I don't think there's any large players essentially besides Microsoft and Google. Um, if there are, I'd love anybody to let us know about, uh, uh let us know about that. And what I'm talking about there is not, um, is somebody who's actually doing the cataloging, Correct. not somebody like DuckDuckGo who's using the results of Google and Microsoft. Uh, but they're putting in their own, uh, you know, secrecy. You know, they're not – they've got their own specific – Well, yeah, the idea with them is they're – in DuckDuckGo's case, they weren't tracking you. Like yes. if you if you use the actual Google, you know, Google.com, you do a search – then cookies and history are being stored. Um, and DuckDuckGo was trying to be a little bit more privacy focused by saying, oh, we're not actually tracking you in that way. So we're not tracking you, but your search results are still are not going to be that different. Yeah, they're still originating. Okay. Now they could, what they could do is they could take the big data dump from Google and then further refine it. Uh, obviously they could be doing something like I that. I think they must, the I think they do that a little bit from what I've, was reading because I think there were some different results and we'll get into it a little bit later. But the, uh, uh, I know the RNC is suing Google right now and there were some studies that were done where they were searching political candidates. And when they search it through Google, the results, they were going to page two, page three, whereas in DuckDuckGo, they were showing up on the first page. Well, some of that is because, uh, the, in the case of Google specifically, um, I, I imagine for Bing, they're selling uh, the top results. So a company can buy their way into the top of the list. And you're not talking about the ads because there's well, ones that say ads. The ones that say straight up ads. But yeah. you can also just buy into those top spaces list. that are not cons- not in the ad section. Yeah, it's like a little it's, sketchy So it's, it's there. like, is it okay, an is it an ad? If you've <laughs> bought yourself and bought your way into the slot yeah. number one, but you're not – it doesn't show ad right. next to you, then <laughs> are you – Right. It's kind of the and same thing. It's like a sneaky ad. It's kind of, and they don't really, they don't have to really disclose that, right? I mean, there's no, like there's, there's no, uh, contract that you have with Google or any search engine when you do a search. Like there, you, you haven't signed up for a specific service. You're not paying them, right? We, we think that we're, 
using that as a service that we would pay in a traditional way, but you're not. And so we, 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 we go at it like I'm giving them something and then they're going to give me something. And I know it's transparent. Our relationship is transparent. Yeah, but it's not at all. And as it would be in a normal, in a normal business. Yes. You're you're giving them money for a particular service and with certain expectations uh, of what that means. Well, there's no expectation of anything here. There's no expectation of privacy. There's no expectation on accuracy. There's no expectation on any of that stuff. On bias. On bias? Yeah. I mean, there may be an expectation on the user's part, but uh, these companies certainly feel no obligation for that. I mean, famously, uh, Google's uh, corporate motto was um, do no evil. And they changed that, uh, I don't know how many years ago. And I thought that was kind of a really interesting thing. Like what's wrong? What, how could it ever be wrong to have that as a corporate motto? But it's also a weird corporate model, don't you think? I mean, that's such a low bar. Yes, and I don't know the history of it, so it would be kind of interesting to know why they did that. But what's more curious is why it was removed to me than why they had it in the first place. Um, And I could see adding on top of it, but removing it? But removing it, yeah, when I'm curious what it's been replaced with. Yeah, it's probably, you know, 30 paragraphs of corporate speech, you know, how those (laughs) things are. (laughs) In any case, um, I think uh, people do need to understand that you are not getting just accurate results or accurate results on the part of these search engines. You are getting results that they want you to see. That's what's different. In the beginning, it was not just about results they want you to see. They wanted to be the most accurate search engine out there because they knew if they were the most accurate, then people would use, people them. Would use them more. Yeah. Right. So there was competition in that space. We don't have competition in the in the actual raw aggregation space anymore, in my opinion. Um we have we have competition just in the front end, like with DuckDuckGo and uh that kind of thing. Um the brave search engine or search results, but they're still using basically just one of two sets of data. Well, I think that that is one of the issues is the lack of competition. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The thing is, how, how would you ever compete with them now? You, in the beginning, you know, the, the, the web, as we used to call it, and the internet was such a small, so much smaller space. There weren't, I mean, I don't know how many websites there were. Let's say there were a hundred thousand, which was a lot especially for the computers that we had back then uh, to comb through that. But you could, I mean, I don't know. Do you have billions of websites now? I don't, I don't know what the number is, but it's massive. How does a company create enough uh, web crawler servers to even catalog the internet now if, as a startup? I mean, I don't, you couldn't, I, I, yeah, I don't to think be, it's possible, which I don't even like the idea of a government, Oh yeah. Only well, the government, I think, could, which would be the worst thing. Oh, but only the government would would have, have the, the resources. Means, the resources the, yeah, yeah. To I mean, you could have. I don't know. You could have somebody like a Elon Musk. Yeah, uh, that kind of a very wealthy entrepreneurial kind of guy say, "Well, I I think I can break into this market." But to what end, though? I mean, is he? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you, there has to be a financial reason. Yeah. For it. Um. So in any case, yeah, we don't have the competition anymore. But but even outside of that, the notion that it's not about the accuracy of the results, that's the part that's really disturbing for me. Uh, if you if you type in, I don't know, let's say you type in a recipe 
uh, you, you know, a request for recipe, you're only going to get one of like three or four recipe sites. And that is absolutely true. I, I do this all the time. I type in rest. I, I, I'll Google a recipe because I'm in a hurry and I won't go to my favorite, some of my favorite websites. I'll just, cause I want to just get some top results and inevitably it's always the same, same three or four or, or it's, it's, it might be different, different websites for different recipes, but it won't take me to, I know what are, where like Epicurious always says good rep- recipes, Smitten Kitchen. I mean, Smitten Kitchen's the top of the list. It never searches to Smitten. I've never had it one time search to sm- go directly to Smitten Kitchen. I have to search Smitten Kitchen and then a recipe. It's interesting. And then. I'll get some recipes from Smitten well, Kitchen, but it will never do, it will never just come up. Even if she's got a fantastic recipe, she has millions of followers. Everybody loves Smitten so Kitchen. So is, is she just a one person with a blog kind of thing? Or? No, she's a cookbook author. Oh, she's an actual uh, author. She's okay. an actual author, so publish. No, so, she's, she's so, giant. And, so this is one of the things that's different about the internet now that I think a lot of people, especially younger people, had no idea about. Back in the day, there would be people who would bring up a personal website. And it, I don't know, the website could be about their, their dog. Okay. But they might, you know, maybe the, the wife of the family or the mother of the family had a little recipe that she wanted to share because she made really great, I don't know, pumpkin pie. So there was a little web page there just attached, just randomly there. Back in the day, Google would have found that. And if you had searched for pumpkin pie somewhere in that list, maybe it wasn't at the top, but there was going to be her little random thing about pumpkin pie. You would find that. Today, that is literally impossible. You will only find big corporations, big, um, big famous sites. This whole thing where an individual person could put out something on the internet and it be found via search or via search, that's gone. That's totally 100% gone. But actually, in the situation that I'm saying, some of the cases... Like I've been, I've been trying to perfect my black beans, making black beans from scratch. Okay. Okay. And so if I type in black beans from scratch, I'll get, I'll get some individual websites, but I I will just get some top ones. And then when you start going to page two and page three, they're not really even black bean recipes. Yeah, it's, already, it's already moved on. It's already moved on by then. And so in there, and it does go to individual websites, but there, nothing seems interesting. They're not, um, you don't get a lot of choices. There's not, there's gotta be more than like five black bean recipes, out there, <laughs> right. you know? And so, and yeah. some of them aren't corporate, but it just doesn't seem like it gives me a lot of choices. But I, I mean, a really great one is just <laughs> to go to a controversial subject is climate change. If you search climate change, it only goes to government. It goes to NASA. I have it right here. It's all government and it's all, uh, shall we say, government aligned universities. Curated. Yeah. We've (laughs) got NASA, the UN, UN, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, uh, Wikipedia, which is interesting, EPA, the WHO. Right. The WHO basically comes up for everything. Yeah. If you search anything – They've got the, the WHO. So here's the thing. I think in, in climate change or what we used to call global warming. Remember when we used yeah. to call it global warming? Um, it is clear that Google 
has their own opinion on the matter and they are only publishing topics that are quote unquote approved. Now, our experience in the United States with um, Twitter and Google in the last couple election cycles, it does seem, and it's at least been reported, that people in the government were contacting Google and Twitter, etc., to either spike a story, meaning uh, bring it to the forefront of social media, or to suppress a story, Okay. This is, I'm sure this is going to be talked about for a long time. And, and they call this reach too. That's in another uh, yeah. reach. It's right. how many people, how many people can get to it, can get right. to it. So, yeah. so they, they lessen the reach or they increase the reach. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm saying that, uh, because in some cases it may not be Google specifically making these content moderation choices or these choices to, uh, modify the reach. It could be the government. Or, or a foreign government in foreign, you know, foreign countries, the government of that country could also be doing the same thing. So I'm giving Google a little bit, or these, some of these, on some of these search topics, a little bit of an out there, because they may be getting governmental pressure to control the message. But either way, from the end user standpoint, this should be highly disturbing because we think we proceed in our culture as if if I want to research something, I type a search into Google and I'm going to get the data from which I can get uh, an answer. An answer. Right. Yeah. And um, in the old days, you know, before the Internet, when you and I went to school uh, and you had to do a research paper, you would go to the library and you would find books for the thing, against the thing, you know, whatever. And then you would have to. Uh, write a paper, come trying to argue one point or another. Well, nowadays people don't do that. They don't go to a library and you're not going to find different, uh, different viewpoints on a topic. You're going to search in Google. And in the case of climate change, there is no, um, what would you say? There's no alternative viewpoint. And I challenge you, anybody who's listening to this right now, search on Google for climate change. You will see it goes on and on and on about a 99%, uh, you know, consensus and it's all these government agencies. Um, and the truth of the matter is it's, there are people who don't agree with this viewpoint and some of them are, yes, actual scientists and yet they have for all practical purposes disappeared from they, the conversation. They've minimized their reach down to zero. Basically zero. Yeah. Um, that should be highly disturbing. Whether or not you disagree with the quote-unquote consensus of climate change, it should bother you tremendously that you can't even see the other side argued. We you should want to see... You should want to see that, yeah, you, right? And also you should be adult enough to handle what you perceive as, as a dis- disagreement. As a disagreement Absolutely. or in other words, what's the, you know, in modern, you know, the modern speak misinformation right you should be able to handle that yeah and uh i there's a really good quote i i pulled off of uh uh something uh referring to internet search engines search engines function as gatekeepers channeling information by exclusion and inclusion as well as hierarchization their algorithms determine what part of the web we get to see and their omnipresence fundamentally shapes our thinking and access to the world right and so we think we're looking through a clear glass, right? 
when we, our results come up and we're not actually looking through a clear glass. Well, and also we think that when we do a search that Google or whoever is searching through all of the available data, if they are, it is not at all apparent that's actually occurring. Because if I search for climate change and I go page after page after page after page of the same fundamental sources, all by the way, citing each other. If, if you actually look at a lot of these pages, th- there's like a circular referential system that goes on there. The who quotes the UN, who quotes, <laughs> you know, NASA, who quotes the UN, who quotes the who, right? Yeah. They're all quoting each other or, or, or referring to each other. Um, and you cannot find any other viewpoint. That's extremely disturbing. It means that you're not able to actually access that data. And what's even more disturbing is you don't, I don't think most people even realize that's happening. I think a lot of people don't realize that. They think that if they search for climate change, they're getting all the data on climate change. Yeah. Well, you know, the the reference, the circular referencing, that's like with the, uh, what happened with the uh, Trump Russia collusion, they were they they were citing news stories. I think there was a news story on Yahoo. That they were citing to uh, when they went to the FISA court. <laughs> and the the news they cited the news story, but the news story cited something else. And it was like they were all they were all pointing at each other. They were all pointing each other as, as evidence as, that it must yeah. be true, right? It, and you can't do that. Well, it's not. Well, it's not a valid way of justifying your. No, you need your to have case. an external source. <laughs> right. That's yeah. Yeah. So basically, they have one source, which could be a completely biased or compromised source, but it's being referred to by multiple people. So it has the appearance of being multi-sourced when it's not. No. It's all the same it, compromised source. Yeah, only because multiple people are citing, right. you know, citing it. And and I I do challenge. You know, anybody listening to this, if you, if you're interested in a topic, watch this. It happens in the media extensively, especially the more controversial stuff, uh, about, about people. For instance, I'll give you an example. Um, there's, uh, somebody that we both know who told, who was talking about a, uh, a Trump associate. And she said, Oh yeah, I think he's just the most evil man in the universe. And I, I had heard the name, but I didn't really know who she was talking about. And she challenged me to say, Oh, I'm telling you, you should look this up. You should look this guy up. You'll see. He's just, he's, he's, he's just, he's just Satan on earth. Evil incarnate. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, okay, let me actually do, this, do yeah. it. Right. So I go and I look this guy up and I do find this, you know, all this very negative coverage about him, mostly from left, left wing, uh, press organizations, which makes sense because, you know, Trump was, uh, uh a cons- well, not a conservative, but a Republican. Well, <laughs> what you find out is all of their, um, footnotes were doing this exact thing. They were all self-referential footnotes and they would accuse him of these horrendous things, anti-Semitism and all this crazy stuff. And when you get right down to it, you couldn't actually find a legitimate source for virtually any of the criticism. 
Because and they were all they were all citing each other. They were all citing each other. Oh and they gosh. were all basically left-wing organizations citing each other as evidence that this is true. Now, if if you, the reader or the viewer, aren't doing what I did and actually looking at the phone, okay, where are they getting this data from? Assuming, by the way, they even cite anything at all, which is another very typical trend these days in all of news media. Most of the time, they don't even cite anybody. Oh, you don't need to cite anything yeah, anymore. Or you say... Maybe if you're really being generous, you say anonymous. <laughs> yes, right. You know. Our anonymous sources, right. Yeah. Uh, so I think people need to start realizing what's going on here because the, the really the big picture is that we're being told what they, whoever they is, and it could be a company, it could be a, a government, what they want us to know. And we're proceeding as if we're independently able to find out the information ourselves. No, we're actually fast losing if we haven't, by and large, already lost the ability to do that. And there is no fallback. You know, in the old days, like I said, you could go to the libraries. You can't do that anymore because the data, current data, isn't in a library. Not current data. No, no it's not, not, not fast paced we're we're in such a fast paced right but i'm saying anything right from now. the last know, 10 or 15 years oh no there's there's current stuff at the library but it's not it's very minimal it is probably minimal and it would be in the form of books if someone's written a book uh, possibly so say tucker carlson writes a book and his book then would be in the library right, but, but not, i mean we're not talking about yeah, current not, data I, and i'm that's not talking not about data that's a that's conservative yeah i'm not talking but, about opinion stuff i'm yeah. talking about Actual data actual stuff. Data. And then there is also the problem too, is a lot of these, uh, academic journals have basically sold their souls and they have been caught publishing pieces or, uh, editing pieces in, in, um, in ways that completely compromise their ethics and their reputation. And a lot of them are doing it. And there's, so you can't trust even, you know, everybody's, oh, well, I want to see the peer reviewed data. Well, you, that's becoming increasingly unreliable as well. So where does that leave us? That leaves us in a position as a, as a, as a culture in a position of ignorance about a lot of topics. And we don't even realize how ignorant we are on them. Well, I mean, that brings a bigger topic into focus here, how much we as humans rely on search engines. Well, yeah, we, I would, I would say we rely on it basically exclusively at this exclusively. point. Exclusively. Well, yeah. here's a well, interesting and, quote. Now let me read for you. Yeah. That. Our own pet sites, meaning the sites that we go to all the time, plus the search. Now the sites that we go to all the time, let's say if you like to go to, I don't know, CNN all the time or Fox news all the time for your news, you're, you're, you're making a deliberate choice to go to a a particular viewpoint, but you've made that choice. You know going in yes. that one's going to be leaning left, one's going to be leaning right, and that's fine. But you're you're cognizant of that when at least I hope <laughs> when you do a search, you don't think that you think that this is agnostic. This that this is not. You know, this is going to be an unbiased list of results from which you can then, uh, you know, find your answers. Find your answers. Well, this is an interesting uh, quote. It's, we feed search engines with our existential fears and doubts 
For example, is my son a genius? What should I do? Is you, my that's a search that somebody's typed in. Yeah, you mean you 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 have all these things. Am I going to die? What what does this mole mean? What is and so we're 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 putting all of our fears and doubts into oh, search engines. Saying. Yeah, so they're so they're able to catalog. They have like a psychological profile. Well, not even on, so they are collecting a psychological profile. Humanity. However, yeah. it's more important than that. We're putting our internal fears and doubts into a search engine mm-hmm. that is biased. Right. And we think that if we put those fears and doubts and we type them into keywords, that we're going to actually get answers back to us that are going to help us in our everyday life, where those answers we're getting back are actually heavily filtered. Right. And so we we need to not be putting our fears and doubts into the internet in that way. How do you get around that? I don't know. F- find reliable sources in a different way. Be very careful when we're searching, uh, that I think that's that we're going to get to the end of this podcast and not actually have an answer for going forward. Yeah. Like this is what you should do instead. I don't know that we have that, but we actually have to be aware of what it means to put yourself out into the internet and really have an expectation that what you get back is going to be internalized. Mm-hmm. Um, in your life and, and is either going is going to answer your answer your questions. Right. Well, and then here's another interesting thing that there are studies that say that we since our brains can only handle so much information that we as a society have a have trouble differentiating what is on the internet and what is actually in our own brain. No, I don't understand what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is they did studies. They, they actually did some really extensive studies, which I'm going to, I'll link this in the um, show notes where they gave people questions, said, okay, we want you to study about autism. So they gave, and then they had uh, two groups and they said, you get to go search on the internet only, and we're going to give you links. And then this group, we're going to give you paper stuff to read and you're going to study and you're going to be tested at the end. And the people that searched on the internet through the links did much worse than the people that actually just got paper copies and read through it. And they were saying that uh, people were assuming that they knew more just by reading something on the internet. They assumed that they actually gained knowledge on the subject. Whereas the people that were reading the paper copies in the traditional way. Was it the same data? Same data. Yeah. So they're reading the same exact data. One is just reading it on paper. Yeah. The other group is reading it on their screen. Yes. And the people who read it on, is it, is it, is maybe that's the reason why there's a difference is, is that has anything to do with the internet particularly? It just has to do with reading on a, that on they a, couldn't read on, the on screen. a monitor. Not that they couldn't, but that you're internalizing it differently. If you read something on paper rather than if you read it in. And that could, I was wondering the same thing, but what they, what they came to, and there were some other experiments that they were working on. They came to the conclusion that people thought they knew more when they knew they had information at their fingertips. They thought they were internalizing that they knew things that they didn't actually know. <laughs> and so. We think we know a lot more as a society and we think we've learned a lot more when we have search engines at our fingertips rather than if we didn't – we were smarter before that. Is it 
<clears throat> I'm wondering, are they, were they not reading all of the content where, uh, you know, on the, the, the people that had the computer version, were they just reading the headlines, you know, type that, of thing? that could be too. I don't know. Thinking that they've internalized enough of the. Yeah. They, I think they the thought they had internal internalized and they both get, both groups were giving given incentives on, um, at the end, if you do well, you're going to get a, a benefit. Right. And the group that did not just go searching on the internet, uh, did a hmm. lot better. It is interesting. I know I, for myself, I do, there is a different feeling when I'm reading paper, anything in paper form than if I'm reading on the internet or on a digital screen, even like a PDF. It could be the same, the same document. It, there is something different that feels like it's happening. When you're reading the hard copy, if I, I don't know have how to, to put learn my finger something, on it, I have to print it. Oh, you're one of those. I, well, I like to make notes on something. I like to touch it. Um, and so when I was reading about this experiment, I did understand. I, I had some intuitive understanding mm-hmm. as to what was going on. People just were sort of assuming that they knew more than they did because they read it on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I think that that actually is indicative of what's going on in our society. We think we know a lot more than we do. Well, certainly people do see, seem to profess uh, a, a knowledge about something when they seem to be more regurgitating what they've been told or what somebody they trust has said rather than because they've looked into it with enough specificity to have their own understanding. Which then makes it even all the more scary when you figure – if people, the average person only looks at the top 10 search results, and if the top 10 search results we've already have determined are skewed, mm-hmm. then someone's re, someone wants to know about something, they're going to look at the top 10 search results statistically. That's all they're going to look at. And then they're going to internalize that they know a lot about a subject right. that they actually <laughs> were fed. Well, no, and not just that they know about it, but they've been subtly convinced of something yeah which is you know when you get down to it that could be a big part of what's going on here is that um to the extent that the government or governments throughout the world are part of this de facto censorship of the internet they are molding the thought process of their citizens in a way that they want and I'm not so sure that there's a big difference between somebody in China behind the Great Wall, Firewall of China, with limited access to information outside of Chinese-approved sensors. I'm not sure that that's all that different anymore than what we're getting in the West. I would say we're moving in that direction, but we, we I would say, though, we're still cloaked in freedom. Well, yeah, there's the appearance of freedom. Yeah. That's the thing. But I don't think that uh, that knowledge, the freedom of knowledge exists anymore when the climate change is an example. Search results are what they are. I mean, 15 years ago, if you had searched up global warming, which is what we called it then, um, I, I remember seeing different arguments about pro and con, you know, is global warming actually happening or 
Is it caused by man? You know, all the, all the little topics around it. And that is gone for all practical purposes. Unless you're looking for very specifically, like, you know, if I remembered people who wrote the papers and I looked up their name, maybe they would show up. But I cannot just do a blanket search and expect I'm going to see multiple sides of an issue, especially if it's an issue in the case of climate change. For those people who haven't considered this, governments are highly incentivized for you to believe a certain way when it comes to climate change because then they can justify all of their governmental policies via that. And I'm not saying that one side is right or wrong. Just understand, you should understand as a citizen, the government has a vested interest in convincing you that the world is going to, you know, burn up in a short amount of time. Because if you believe that, then they can justify taxing you to death to save the world or uh, removing freedoms to save the planet. Well, whenever you can put fear, I mean, fear of anything out there, then you can easily give reasons to fix the fear. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, which, take the, which take the form of government controls. Government, so yeah. you have to scare people before you can sure. control people. Absolutely. Right. And that's my point is that they, it's in their interest to do that. Now, of course, I'm not saying they are doing that. I don't know. That's, you know, what they call conspiracy theories, but they may be, and they certainly would be motivated to do that. And if you don't, if you're not considering that as a real possibility, because you're afraid that, oh, that's only the way crazy people think, I would submit to you that you're not looking at this in a balanced way. Governments are always doing things in their interests or the people in power. Just like corporations, wealthy corporations, monopolies. This is not, this is not new. And I would just, all the, the people listening to this, I, I would just implore you to really think about that. Human nature has not changed and people in power are going to do things to try to, uh, in, in, increase their power and their wealth. And you should not be so foolish as to think that they're purely being altruist, altruistic. And I'm not saying altruism doesn't exist. Of course it does. It, it exists on the government level as well as the, the individual level. But you can't pretend like that's the only thing that's happening. No, you, you can't. There's, there's the nature of government is to grow itself and to keep itself in power. And any bureaucracy, and right? any bureaucracy. Yeah, right. And, and Google's no different. Google's no different. Uh, well, actually, look, at, I mean, Twitter's kind of an interesting case in point because yeah. I, I saw a, a chart of the way they started with, I think it was like, I don't know, less than 20 employees, right? And then there's this very slow growth for four or five years to say 100 employees. And then all of a sudden, they were doubling and tripling their total employee count at a very fast rate. But the service didn't particularly change. And what were all these people doing? Well, this is the thing with bureaucracies, right? When you hire people, now you got to hire people to manage the people. When they have to hire more people to manage the, the additional, and now we need the HR department to, you know, it, it just kind of just balloons on himself. And I think there was, there was, there's some, I, re, I read an article, the guy, there's a, there's a theory or a, 
a number, a formula that some guy come up with. It, it was the square root of the number of employees is the number of people who are actually doing work. <laughs> so if you have, uh, you know, 10 people, well, let's say it was, what's the easy number? 16 people. The square root of 16 is four. Only so, four people are actually doing the work. That's And that's, as that number gets bigger and bigger, the percentage goes, because the way square root function works, gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And uh, I think anybody who's had an experience in a large organization instinctively kind of knows like, this. What are you doing? Well, what about all these people? And, uh, Musk said, you need to. Well, yeah, prepared it. Come that's back what I'm saying. To work. That's why he shows up there. And, and I think he, he subscribes to this notion that these large organizations have so many people who aren't working Dead or actually weight. doing anything. Yeah. So he, he fires a bunch of them and then he lays down the law and says, you better be, we're, we're ready to work your butt off because we are, we're going to fix some stuff around here. And then a whole bunch of them say, well, I don't want to work hard. <laughs> well, all these people, there was stories of these people, they like left as soon as COVID you know, locked him out of the office and they hadn't been seen since. They're just like working from home. Yeah, there's quote unquote working from home, right? Yeah. But a I, lot of people used COVID as an excuse to not, I mean, and that was how, I mean, my bank, I, how many times did I go to the bank during COVID and the, the branch was shut down so because stupid. one person said that they had had COVID. So they had to shut down the whole branch for like three weeks. Oh, our local, uh, the local Wells Fargo just closed for months. Right. That's what I mean. And, <laughs> and let me tell you, uh, speaking from personal experience, at the age of 21 on a Friday night, if I'd got a little bit, you know, had a lot of fun and didn't feel so good on Saturday morning, I might have called in and said I had COVID. Yeah. I'm just saying. So how many, how many people were doing that, especially, you know, that younger demographic who didn't have a lot of responsibilities? Yeah. I, it's like, oh, I think I might have COVID. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I don't know. There's just the whole generation of the workforce has grown accustomed to not working and not interacting with workers and, and being really freaked out about interacting with workers because they haven't done it for so long. And when some, you know, hardcore boss like Elon Musk shows up and says, you're going to show to work every day. It's, oh my God, I have to go every day. Yeah. I don't know what to do. What do do you mean? I I mean, and they just, they just have meltdown. They just lock up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They just lock up. No, they just locked up. They locked up. They're like, peace out. I can't handle it. The funny thing is people like you and me, you know, we, we've worked for a long time before this. And so we're like, okay, well, we're going back to the way it was. If it really was that, I mean, for me, it wasn't all that different to begin with, but maybe for you it was, but it's very easy for us to transition back because we did it that way for so long. But anybody who is on the younger end of the spectrum, I mean, that might be all they actually know of what work means. Who are new to the workforce during <laughs> COVID. Yeah. Or had only worked hardcore for a short amount of time before this started. So. Anyway, I don't know how we got sidetracked on that, but well, that's easy. Well, it's it's actually I'm I'm glad that you said that you said that because coming up in a uh, another podcast, we are going to talk about relationships during COVID, and we will touch on what do you mean relationships during COVID? Relationships, how people interacted with each other during COVID, oh, okay. and and an overlapping subject would be how do people work together during COVID and what that looked like. So that's Hmm. coming up. Okay. And just in summary, though, for Google, actually, and we're, I, I don't want to say this lightly. We're saying Google 
just to mean actual search engines because yeah, we've decided that that is they, well, they're all essentially doing the same thing from, from what I can tell. Yeah. So. Well, we know China. I mean, well, yeah, of yeah, course. Extreme version. Ex- yeah, those. But if, um, I don't think I tried every search engine, but I tried a lot. And if you, and climate change is a great litmus test. Yes. Because it is so charged with a certain narrative. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong. That's not the point. The point is there, the, there is a a vocal sub- significant portion of the pe- population and of academics who are not all in on that that narrative but you cannot you will not find it by just searching climate change and you know actually the funny part is you might find it but you're only finding it for people who are berating it. Yes. In a negative sense. Yeah. Yes. And I, I didn't mean to bring that up because yeah. yes, you will, you will see some of that. And so I think, what is the phrase they use for the climate, climate deniers? Yeah. Climate deniers. Right. Yeah. So you, you, yes, you, you're right. You will, you will likely find if you look hard enough, you'll find things about climate, climate denialism or climate yeah. deniers. And, and this is a, is couched in, in, uh, all kinds of negative viewpoints. So, oh, look at these, these crazies. It would be like uh, akin to talking about flat earthers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Which, I mean, come on. <laughs> but, but, um, that's what a lot of, I think a lot of people today who never were aware of some of the difficulties in coming to our so-called consensus of climate change. If you weren't aware of how that came about and the, the differing viewpoints, um, you would have no way of being able to assess the veracity of today's present claim regarding climate change. And again, the current narrative, uh, of climate change is a hundred percent to the benefit of government and, co- and companies and corporations and totally against individual freedom. So again, I'm not saying it's wrong. You have to decide for yourself, but you should be very suspicious anytime everybody agrees on a topic. That I think will be the mantra through the rest of our podcast. You probably, yeah. Yeah. You know, anytime you see everybody agreeing on something. But is that our personalities? Do we What's have, that? do we naturally feel that way? Is that inherent in our, in you and in my personality and your personality? Well, cause that's, that's just a natural reaction to me, the, the, but it's not to some people. The variety of, of, of humans and their experiences and their attitudes and their education and all, you would expect to see a great variety of viewpoint on almost every single imaginable topic. Okay. So when you don't see that, it is very curious. I mean, for instance, there are actually flat earthers. <laughs> Which, I, Which have you ever Googled any of those websites? No, oh no, my gosh! They're, I mean, I know they exist, but they're pretty funny. And and look, I'm not. I, I would 100 percent like if there was a flat earther who wanted to argue his viewpoint. Oh, be amazing! I, I would 100 percent entertain that discussion. Yeah, because I want to see how they're they're justifying that. And I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it, 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 you have to proceed under the notion 
that you might be wrong about something. Well, I've heard also you should always proceed with a notion, too, that you might learn something. Well, that's another way of saying it, right? Yeah. Because if I'm wrong about something uh, and I realize I'm wrong, that I just learned something. Yeah. So, well, I mean, we've got all kinds of goofy. I'm just going to say it. Goofy. Even though I'd like to hear. We've got the flat earthers, but you've got the people that the fake moon landing people. Right. We've got the, uh, fake, um, nine 11. Right. Nine 11 people. Yeah. And, uh, but also, that, well, and just so we're clear, there, there are people that believe that nine 11, I guess was an inside we, that job. We did it. That, yeah. yeah that we did it or that, um, by we, the government, our the government, government or yes. something. Yeah. And, uh, and again, I mean, <laughs> but it doesn't mean I don't want to talk to those it, people and it doesn't right. mean I don't want their links on the internet. And it does, it does seem, uh, difficult for me to accept, but I'm not going to say you shouldn't show up in a search Absolutely for not. that or that I'm, I wouldn't l- be willing to listen to what you have to argue. I mean, you, you better have something behind the, the I've argument. I've looked at the flat earthers. It's pretty. Slim. It's pretty slim on there. Nonetheless, <laughs> they should still be allowed a link. Yeah, and and if I and we should still, they still should have a voice. They still absolutely should have a voice. Yeah. I mean, listen, I know it's a cliche, but Galileo and Copernicus were thought crazy at one point. Mm-hmm. Okay, nobody believed that. There were people that really believed that the Earth was flat there were people that uh believed that the earth, earth was, the, was center. the center of yes. the universe yep. okay and it was very very difficult to convince them that that was not the case but it was through scientific exploration right. there, there through was a whole debate through, through debate through correct pushing through testing ideas and listen we probably would have figured out a lot sooner if not for the catholic church, catholic church who, yeah. who had all that power and influence in that era uh, who perceived this as a threat to, I don't know, religion, I guess. Well, if if um, the earth was the center, we were the center of the universe uh, because God created the earth and the, we are the center I, of the I universe. See. And okay. so then so if we they, they saw it as a theological problem. Yeah, that if it, we weren't the center of the earth, then, then that means right. did God have a hand in our creation, right. which, I mean, that argument falls apart pretty quickly. The, but What's fascinating about that particular example, too, and think about it, is I don't think highly religious people today find any conflict in this at all. There's no conflict right? in it. But but back then there was this conflict apparently within the church and with within I'm assuming very religious people they thought this was heretical and and very dangerous uh, way of thinking. So that could be happening today is my point. Right? The the climate denier is the heretic of today. What if he's right? Well, Everybody thought Copernicus was crazy. Well, then, but we, he was right. But then we end up—we <laughs> have to go hundreds of years to actually see. Maybe I mean because then time will test the theories. Time right? will test the theories. Yeah. But the thing is, in this modern era, you would think where people are so much more theoretically educated than back in those days, it should be easier. To come to the truth of these things, but not harder or not. It shouldn't be as difficult. I don't know that there was such a. I, I think back then maybe the motivations were a lot more pure, whereas today. 
Well, I do believe that the, there was a lot of people in the church that, you know, that the heresy was very... They really believed yeah, that. Yeah, this was a real problem for yeah. them. And then today, I don't think the motivations are pure. Now, uh, and to be fair, it's not an, it's not a great analog because the thing with Copernicus and Galileo, they were able to observe and through their observations prove their points, okay? Uh the the climate thing is much more difficult because it's really just a theory we cannot we won't know if it's true for dozens hundreds thousands of years yeah. because that's how long it would take to observe what they are um what they are saying is happening. Well, what about so, AOC? I mean, she said a couple of years ago we had 10 years. Well, right. That's what I'm saying. It means, <laughs> so even, we should know in about seven. Yeah. <laughs> right. But that's been going on for, I mean, I remember, uh, that, what was it there? Was it, was there a time, a time magazine article or there's something about, you know, the earth was cooling, um, in the seventies. I remember, oh, there was I remember the earth that. was, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and now, so uh, the, the point though that I'm making is that, uh, it is the, the whole climate change thing. We are talking about very small changes in climate that are very difficult to measure reliably and to see an actual trend because we are talking about maybe not a geological time scale, but for all practical purposes, well beyond the lifespan of a human, yes. multiple generations it, it will take. And even then, to be able to prove without a doubt or with an extremely high level of accuracy what the cause is, is still going to be up for debate because the earth without human intervention has had climate change many, many, many times. So, so how do we know it's because of what the humans are doing? And again, I'm not saying that any of that is wrong. For those who think I'm a climate change denier, I'm not saying what I'm saying is that the arguments do exist and they it, you are talking about something that is very difficult to prove. But everybody's acting like it's 100 percent like it is as good as the law of physics. It is good as the law of physics. And, it, and because Google has it on its and first it, 10, and, right. then it, it, it assures us. Yeah. So the 12 year old looking it up knows yeah. without a shadow of a doubt that yeah. it's 100 percent. True. Well, that's actually not fair to say. And even any honest scientist would agree that, uh, this is, this does not r- rise to the level of evidence in any way, shape or form as to that of the moving of the planets. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and yet they act as if it does. And again, that to me is a bit of a red flag. Whenever something like that is happening, when somebody is asserting that a theory based on evidence that is not incontrovertible is 100% true or 100% factual. Well, we have cor- causation, correlation. Right. You, we don't know. Right. So you say the teacher says to the 12-year-old, do a paper on climate change. The 12-year-old, 12-year-old goes to the library and gets current books on the subject, which I'm sure the library's going to be carrying Right. The and I, and I have not tested that. So I'm, I'm just saying that that's, that is a theory that that's what's going to be at the library, but we already know what the 12 year old's going to find on, right, the, Google on the Google. Right. So yeah. I wanted to end us with a quote that I thought was interesting. To exist is to be indexed by a search engine. 
Oh, that's pretty clever. Isn't that good? Yep. And it's true. Good quote for the modern era. It is a good quote for the modern era. Yeah, that's, that's very good. Okay, and now it's time for one of our favorite segments, I Was Wrong. This time, I believe Aaron has something to tell us. I was wrong about something. It was actually, I was, uh, at least I was told I was wrong very quickly. And so I didn't have to uh, make any bad choices. Oh, that sounds rather <laughs> ominous. Pray, no. What pray tell Spend was money. this? <laughs> well, okay, so we were, I, I was looking for ways to help my son just focus on um, his schoolwork. Okay. And I did my Google search, which is funny. <laughs> you searched the Google. I searched the Google, and this is what the Google gave me. It gave okay. me a list of things, and one of them was a salt lamp. Uh, um, come again? A lamp that was made out of Himalayan salt, and, a big crystal. And it Okay, and it's supposed to do what? It's supposed to release negative ions, and negative ions are supposed to help you be calm. And I thought – and then the lamps are like $15. And I thought, okay. I'm just going to go on Amazon and get one of these lamps. Like, why not? It's pretty. It's right. pink. It's like a light glow. Just looking at it actually makes you feel like, oh, look, it's like, I'm like looking, a little lamp. I'm looking it up here as, okay. you, as you talk. Oh, okay. Well, I can see. Yeah, they kind of look like a – it looks like an amberish colored rock oh. that's glowing from inside. Yes, I, exactly. I can see why they think they look kind of cool. And, and, and scientifically, I didn't delve into this too much. I thought, oh, it's, it's a cheap thing that, okay. that would be, you know, but nice, I mean, a nice addition. But its purpose was to calm, to, to calm, make you calm. Okay. And it, all right. And so I went down and I asked Isaac, I said, Isaac, uh, Isaac's who? My son. Okay. So I went down to ask him, I said, hey, how, how old is Isaac? He's 17. Okay. <laughs> so I said, Isaac, what do you think about getting? We're going to do these other tools. We're going to use these other tools. But then in addition, what do you think about this Himalayan salt lamp? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> laughing right now because he looked at me. He's like, wait, what? <laughs> he goes, coincidentally, I just watched an entire YouTube on negative ions. First of all, they don't work. <laughs> and then – that's most important is there's like no such thing. They've done all kinds of studies. On well, them. I mean, there are negative ions, no, no. But, they, but they don't work in, um, like, they might clean the air, right? but they do not they like don't change human behavior. They don't change hum- human behavior and they don't have a result on like how you feel. Okay. And, um, and then also that Himalayan salt crystals don't even release negative not only does the ion not work but the lamp isn't going to even release no no and he like laughed at me (laughs) so well what are teenagers for that's exactly what they're for they're they're meant to like keep parents from making oh that's funny mistakes on silly things. so i i did a search for it when you when you mentioned it and um i went to a site called I mean, this was one of the first search results, so this is probably oh, what you did. Okay. Saltremedy.net. Yes. And one of the 10 reasons why you should have a lamp, it says, um, oh my goodness, I, it's hard to believe anybody would believe any of this stuff. It says, the, the, probably the most well-known benefit and why the majority of people use them is due to their incredible power to remove dust, pollen, cigarette smoke, and other contaminants. This is a lamp that they're telling you is going to clean the air. And it says, 
Himalayan salt lamps purify air through the power of hygroscopy. Is that even a word? I do not know. Meaning that they attract water molecules from the surrounding environment and then absorb those molecules, as well as any foreign particles that they may be carrying, into the into the salt crystal. As the lamp warms up from the heat produced by the bulb, that same water then evaporates back into the air. And the trapped particles of dust, pollen, etc., remain locked in the. Oh my God! Well, in, I did. You really think I did not read that website? Okay, that sounds right. ridiculous. Fair and enough. also, <laughs> the lamp doesn't even get war- that warm. <laughs> it's just a stupid light bulb, right? It's just a light bulb. Like it's not getting the lamp that warm. So I'm sorry, <laughs> but there are negative ion generators. Okay, well, that's right. what they used to do well, some air purifiers. I, mean, I do remember so- from uh, from chemistry. I I seem to remember that the negative ions they do have a, a useful property in, at the molecular level, and maybe small little particles. But yeah, it it obviously seems a stretch to think that it's going to change human behavior. Yes. And so that's a totally separate. <laughs> but that was the genesis of the search. It was the genesis of the search. But it was on a list of tools and the other, some of the other tools were actually real tools. Okay. And that was just thrown in there. And so I thought, hey, I'm just, why don't I just cast a wide net? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can imagine your boy had a lot of fun with he that was one. like, oh, what? Are you kidding me? What is happening to my mother? What she is- bought, she believed this? I know, I know. But well, listen, okay. whenever you get a mother trying to, to find something to help their kids, I'm sure they're willing to entertain things that others might not entertain. I, you know, that is a very good point. Yeah. You're, you want, you kind of like want to believe. You want, yeah, you're wanting to find that thing that's going to help You're wanting to find, yeah, things that are helpful. And so, yeah, you're maybe you have like suspension of disbelief. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, and true. I mean, you did a Google search. I did. And you ended up. Almost buying. buying. So how much you want to bet whoever makes those crystal, whatever, they paid Google to make sure it was near the top of that list. Probably. Yeah. Yep. Be willing to bet. So it works. Their system obviously works. The system works. Yeah. But I didn't spend the $15.99. So. Thank you, Isaac. Yes. Crisis averted. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think that's it for us today, unless you have anything to add. Well, nothing now, but I think you've seen the topic of our next podcast. I have. And, uh, well, I guess I'll have to think about it. See you next time. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the I'll Think About It podcast. We hope we've given you something to think about. Please share us with your friends and on your social media. Goodbye for now. In this podcast, we talk about search engines. <laughs> search engines? <laughs> That's hard to say that you think. It is. It's tripping me uh, up. <laughs> uh, nobody tells you about this part of podcasting.